All right, I've gone back to the cheapo microphone until I sort out something better. So a uh, couple of things. One is the announcement that finally they, uh, well, finally, it was really quick. They, uh, the Kurgan t-shirts are available at Crypto Fashion. So the link to the t-shirt is at the bottom on the notes. But if you just Google Crypto Fashion and then they've got t-shirts from various people's designs towards the bottom. There's the, the Kurgan Catholic not Novus Orca t-shirt. And uh, when I originally discussed it with one of the owners of the business, I thought it might look better without the little Pope uh, Urban II's little hat. But actually on seeing the t-shirt, no, it, um, I actually like the little hat. And uh, the hat, by the way, is taken from Pope Urban II, which was the guy who launched the Crusades. And it looks really cool. So it's got the little hat. It says Catholic and then not Novus Orco. Um, and it's also a cool color. I quite like the color. It's a sort of, a, I don't know what you, it, is it like called Moab? I don't know. It's one of those between sort of purple and red, whatever that, that is. But uh, I quite dig it. So yeah, go get your t-shirts. Um, I'm, I'm not making any money of it at all. It's all going straight to the, you know, whatever, whatever profit there is, is going straight to the guys who run uh, crypto fashion. They're good guys. They, um, they do really good t-shirts and, you know, um, one of them has, has had some health issues. So um, if I can help them out in any way, good. Uh, so please go ahead and order them if you're going to. Uh, the link, like I said, is here below. And then um, I was just going to do some random stuff, but um, one of the commenters uh, told me that I should watch the uh, debate between Jay Dyer and Nick Fuentes. And as a, I've done one video on Jay Dyer and I pretty much said, you know, that's it. I'm not really interested in debating the guy I talked to him. He's a liar. He's dishonest. So <clears throat> there's, there's no point in arguing with people like that. And um, I also did, you know, the, the last video did number 62. The audio is terrible on it. It's really low. So you probably can't hear it unless you're in a quiet room with uh, decent speakers or decent headphones. Um, but in there, I, um, I mentioned throughout most of that video how it's difficult to argue with somebody that just doesn't have them either the intellectual capacity to handle the topic or has got some essentially mental dysfunction that doesn't allow them to deal with facts. Now, it's also true that I think it's Aristotle that said about 2,500 years ago that, you know, a, a lot of people, most people can't even change their mind. They cannot be educated by facts, only rhetoric. And, you know, this happens at every level of the you would like to think it happens less at the higher IQ levels, but that's not necessarily the case. It's just the higher IQ people, generally speaking, have got a better understanding of a number of things. And as a result, they're probably more likely to be a little bit more factual based than, than rhetoric based. But that's not always the case at all. It's not, I wouldn't say it's a one to one relationship at all. Um, I've certainly met very high IQ, high IQ people that or totally fixated on some stuff. Um, you know, perhaps there's some element of Asperger's or autism and that, I don't know. 
But it was interesting watching the debate between uh, Dyer and, and Fuentes. Um, and to be fair, I only only got about halfway in, about 45 minutes in. But just in that 45 minutes, again, you know, it's more proof that Dyer is dishonest in his uh, way of arguing. And from looking at his mannerism, it's also quite clear that he has some issues. Um, so I'll, I'll just deal with the... Uh, um, I'm just going to mention it. It's not, you know, um, he, he always tends to wear a hat. He always wears like a baseball cap. And I don't know, I'm guessing there there is something to do with that hat. I don't know exactly what it is because I can't be bothered to spend enough time looking at enough video of the guy. But I'm guessing that maybe he's getting a male pattern baldness and he's trying to hide it or something. It's, it's almost kind of a shield, you know, it's kind of hiding behind it. I mean... You know, really, if that's the reason, male pattern, baldness, you know, that's a thing that you got to wear a hat for that. What kind of fucking bullshit? But anyway, that's a just an observation. And it's not what, you know, a lot of people watching this, the lower IQ end, won't get that. Oh, you're just doing a personal attack. No, it's evidentiary of his way of thinking. It's evidentiary of the fact that this little prop, the hat, is like a little tool for him. I mean, on the last video I did, to be perfectly honest with you guys, I very nearly did it shirtless because I was hot. You know, it's, it's pretty hot. There was no aircon here or anything. But I thought, no, that was just, you know, um, there's a bunch of people that know me well, that I have this apparent reputation because, you know, my wife posts pictures and videos of me like speedos when we're on holiday and um they they you know they they've got this this idea that the kurgan is always sort of pantless and naked and doesn't wear clothes well there's the irony boys and girls you've now got kurgan t-shirts so um and i thought you know it's it's uh, if it we're up to me i'd, I'd just do it but I, th I thought you know some people might not understand they might think that i'm i don't know trying to pose or they would be somewhat scandalized you know maybe there's some nice little catholic girl who looks and says oh what is that barbarian doing bare chested and so okay fine i put the t-shirt on even though i was sweating like a pig but uh, you know um my point is i did my normal way of being would probably be somewhat shocking for you people but that's just because i'm I'm natural the way I am and if I have to think about other people okay fine I'll put some clothes on you know you don't know the amount of times I've opened the door to like you know the Amazon guys or the food delivery guys and I'm just in my underpants and I'm just like yeah excuse my underpants and most of the times they're guys that you know from Eastern Europe or whatever and they're just like eh. <laughs> you know they'll probably do the same thing at home so but um so what I'm saying, it's not about because you wear a hat, you're a loser or whatever. That's not the thing. But it's the way he's he's obviously concerned about having his hat on his head. And uh, I don't know what it is, you know, whether it's like a comfort blanket thing like Linus or whether it's a, because he's going bald and he's trying to hide it. You know, really? If that's the reason, you know, really? You know, be proud. Be proud of your hair. Be proud of your lack of hair. It doesn't matter. But anyway... That aside, so the first 20 minutes of that video, which um, I'm going to try and post a link. Hopefully I remember I'll post a link for that as well um, below the t-shirts because it's far less important. But um, 
the first 20 minutes nothing happens because he's waiting for Nick to come on and then Nick comes on and by minute 25 he's already done a dishonest thing because he conflates the Novus Oracle with the Catholic Church and we know that this is intentional and we know that it is uh, dishonest because later on he admits that he believes Vatican II to be a dismantling of Western civilization. He knows that Vatican II is, is not legitimate and yet at the same time before that he's going on about either before or after I can remember he's going on about oh no I think later he goes on about oh well you know this is why he talks about this divine simplicity and oh my god the guy's he's just retarded and it's all to do with binary thinking his flaws in thinking a lot of it most of it um and he's going on about divine simplicity and basically what he's saying is like well, the Catholic Church believes that you can't have a direct experience of God and that you can only experience God through Jesus Christ or, you know, Mary or the saints or whatever, anything else. You know, these clouds that Moses saw or that Jesus saw, that Peter saw, that the apostles saw. And so as a result of that, you know, there is a distance from God and that distance eventually leads to nihilism. Now, only somebody that is mentally defective could come to that conclusion. First of all, as far as I'm aware, there isn't a single place in any scripture that clearly states God has, be, you know, there's a direct experience between a human being and God. I'm not aware of that happening anywhere. Also, because, you know, there's, there are indications of a connection to God, but again, it's a burning bush. It's a cloud of light, it's Jesus himself, it's through Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit. You know, there are multiple variations of this and it's never God direct. I mean, how many people saw Jesus? That was direct, you know, that's direct. Jesus had a certain look, which we know, thanks to the Shroud of Turin. He spoke to people, they all agree on a number of factors. You know, Jesus was a real person, he walked the earth, he was there and so on, he did the miracles. God, God the Father, what does he look like? You got a picture of that somewhere on a sheet? No. God the Father has not been directly experienced by anybody. I mean, and I, I'm speaking as a person that had, I think, what comes closest to a direct experience of God that's been described anywhere. I literally had a sensation of this undescribably vast intelligence, loving intelligence, looking at me and knowing that I exist and me becoming aware of a tiny fragment, a tiny fragment of the totality of this undefinable, undescribable being. So I'm one of the guys that if anything should be saying, oh yeah, God is like this. And I'm telling you, I've had that experience and it's like, no, I don't believe that a human being can have a direct experience of God without just catching fire like a match in a, in a furnace. Um, so I think that's pretty obvious. So again, he's then latching on to that as being the leading to nihilism. Now, regardless, right, whether you're Orthodox or Catholic, whether you agree that you cannot experience God directly or not, regardless of that fact, this is how rarefied the argument is. Jay Dyer is saying that 
if you cannot experience God directly, you will be led to nihilism and therefore Vatican II and all the fake crap. That, what? Are you retarded? That, that is just as bad as the people that say, well, uh, no, we can't have stars and trillions of stars and billions of galaxies. No, we can't have that because it's too big. And, and then it makes God like not important. No, you fucking moron. The fact that we have trillions of galaxies, you know, that's a bonus. That's a plus. That shows the majesty of God. I, I honest to God, cannot understand how you can lie at night in a, on the desert floor or in Africa, wherever, look up at the sky with no light pollution whatsoever and not see the majesty of God. Okay. I was a little kid when I was doing that. And I was a teenager when I was doing that. I was an atheist when I was doing that. And yet while doing that in the middle of the Kalahari desert, looking at shooting stars falling in that, I was filled with the majesty of God. I certainly did not have any nihilism in me at all. I had curiosity, wonder and joy at the millions of other living beings that no doubt are, you know, existing on other planets by other stars and so on. And that hasn't changed. The fact that I'm Christian doesn't in any way deny any of those things from being real. And this is similar, like what? Because you can't experience God directly like one on one, then oh, it leads to nihilism. No. That's only if you're a completely narcissistic freak that is so self-absorbed that all you can think about is God doesn't talk to me direct and, uh, you know, then, then it's, it, I don't matter and I got to die. You know, huh? You know, you, seriously, man, you know, I, you know, and I, I don't even want to say mentally retarded. I don't, you know, because th there are people with Down syndrome that are well above that way of thinking well above I mean instinctively above it by like light years so no that's just completely retarded argument but um, and you know again he lies by conflating Novus Orco with the Catholic Church intentional lie and that's why I wouldn't debate this guy he's just a a liar and B I, I don't think he's neurologically all there I think he's got some serious Aspie type stuff going on. And again, I speak as somebody who has got Asperger's himself. Then at about 42 minutes in, he panics when Nick Fuentes correctly identifies the fact that the Bishop of Rome always had final say because Rome has always been first among equals. And the Bishop of Rome essentially was the, the tiebreaker and the ultimate guy who ratifies everything. Again, I've made the analogy before that, um, you know, first in honor is very similar to martial arts. And it's an apt analogy because martial arts and military orders are again, a very good analogy for the church militant, which is what the Catholic church is. You know, the, there are three versions of it's the church militant. And then uh, I can't remember the church triumphant, I believe is, you know, after the second coming or when we're in heaven or whatever, uh, the, there's three, I don't remember the other ones because I'm kind of concerned with the church militant. That's where I'm at now. That's what I'm going to look at. But, you know, military orders and hierarchy in the Catholic Church and hierarchy in heaven, it's all very similar. So, you know, to um, to have a number of people that are all of the same rank and yet have one of them have primacy is normal. It's, it's normal military stuff. You know, you've got generals, you've got five star generals, but one will have seniority. They'll all be four star generals, but one will have a seniority. Similarly, um, 
you know, in, in, in a martial arts class, you will have guys that are all the same rank or the same belt, or the, but one of them will have seniority by virtue of the fact that either he's older or he's been there longer or he started the, the whole thing. You know, now that doesn't mean, which is the next argument that Jay Dyer comes up with, which is again, completely, it's, it's seriously, it's mentally handicapped stuff. Um, the next argument he comes up with is that, oh, well, uh, the Pope cannot have primacy because, you know, Paul argued with with um, with Peter and and then Peter had to change his mind. So that means that Peter isn't the supreme Lord being, you know, again, only a complete autist would think that first among equals means that the Pope can't change his mind or can't take advice from the other bishops or can't, you know, get all the information that he can and then make his mind up and realize, oh, my first thought on that was wrong. No, there's nothing that says any of that. And again, you know, we, we've I've been involved with that in, in training, you know, where you've got the instructor, you've got the sensei or the teacher or whatever you're calling him in the, your particular style and thing. And he will say, okay, we're going to do this. But, you know, there are people that can make suggestions. Now, if he says, shut the fuck up and do what I told you, then you shut the fuck up and you do what you're told even when you know it's wrong, even if it is wrong, okay? And then later, sometimes you find out that what you thought was wrong was still useful and was a good thing for you, which, by the way, is the crux of Christianity, okay? Christianity takes the bad, the evil, the wrong, and somehow turns it into a positive. And again, I'm living proof of that in many, many ways. But, you know, the whole Jesus resurrection, crucifixion thing, all of that, that's like, you know, they nail the guy to a cross and that makes him win somehow. You know, it's it's the inverting of evil. So it's par for the course. And there's absolutely nothing that says that just because the Pope is a Pope, he can't take advice from others and sort of listen and sort of go, actually, yeah, that makes more sense. And that's what we're going to do from now on. But again, to an autist, it's like, no, I must have the supreme leader. The supreme leader must follow. Supreme leader, he must have mustache. You know, it's just, what? No. So, you know, the, the arguing that the Pope is the one that says everything and decides everything and everybody at all times must always follow everything that he says. And, and if anybody makes a suggestion and changes his mind, that proves that he's not the Pope. That is literally binary thinking, puritanical nonsense. Okay, you have to be a binary thinker. Look at video 35, it explains the difference. You can only think like that if you're a binary thinker of severe, you know, Protestant imbibed, you know, limited thinking. It, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not correct thinking. It's just wrong thinking. So that's basically it as far as I got. Oh, and another thing that he talks about is the circular argument. He says, no, because you're saying that scripture validates the Pope and then the Pope validates scripture and the Pope validates the other arguments. And therefore, you know, it's the Pope validating himself. No, you dork. It's not a circular argument. It's a factual argument. Jesus made Peter the first among equals of the, of the apostles, therefore like the first Pope. And from there on, that's that. From there on, given that Jesus, you know, if Jesus says, look, you're now the Pope, what you say goes, he's now the Pope. What he says goes, that's it. And if later down the line says, hey, what I'm saying goes because I'm the Pope and it's in the Bible and Jesus said, 
It's not circular, it's factual. That's like somebody saying that uh, if I say I'm my son's father and then he says, oh, well, he is my father because I'm his son, that that's a circular argument. It's not a circular argument, you moron. It's a fact. It's a factual statement of fact. There's nothing circular about it, you cretin. You know, so that, the, honestly, the quality of the guy's arguments are just pathetic, really pathetic. Um, and it's quite clear to me that he is neurologically atypical and he's the kind of guy that needs absolutes. And again, if you're looking for absolutes and perfection beyond some very rarefied sort of concepts, you know, you're a moron. You are literally a moron. If, if I hear somebody says, I'm a perfectionist, the first thought that enters my mind is he's an idiot. Because perfection doesn't exist. On earth, under the domain of Satan, perfection cannot exist. All right? And the only perfect thing is God. That's it. Nothing else is. Everything else that is not God falls short of that mark for obvious logical reasons so again you know looking for the perfect leader that it's just it's sad really it's quite sad so and on that basis and also on the basis that i am now almost completely finished with god's battalions on which i will do um, a bit of a review perhaps in writing on the blog gfilotto.com i'll try and put that link too if i remember um but yeah if you haven't read it like get god's battalions you can't get it on kindle apparently so um, you can get it on cd or hardcover but or hard uh, you know paperback or whatever but get it get it in paperback get it in hardcover whatever it's it's a brilliant book it, it's it is something you want to read or hold in your hands really and the more i read of that and the more i come across people like jay dyer and the more i look at you know things like the arguments the theological arguments they, they have about oh divine simplicity and all that it's like, and, but, you know, I come at it from a big picture sort of thing. I don't care really about the details of the filioque and whatever. It's, what difference has it ever made to anybody's practical life? Other than, yeah, somebody might have killed you for it when they had some intersign of warfare between the two branches. But, you know, in practical reality, in your spiritual life, what difference does it possibly make? Yeah. But the thing is, I look at big picture, and big picture, the Crusades went out and got Jerusalem back and held it for a long time. And it was only because the Orthodox betrayed them at every turn. I mean, they had, you know, for the, you know, the, 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 the claim that the Orthodox make that, oh, you know, the evil Catholics sacked Constantinople. Well, yeah, let's look at that. Yeah. In the first Crusade, the Eastern Emperor asked for help. He gets the help. All the crusaders go there and say, right, we're going to help you kick these guys out, the Saracens. And the guy goes, yeah, yeah. And then you'll, you'll get some lands. And, but actually, no, the lands will be mine. Yeah, you go ahead and fight. So the crusaders fought, liberated all those cities, all the way to Jerusalem, liberated Jerusalem. And then like the emperor guy was like, oh, yeah, no, by the way, it's all my stuff. You can't have any of it. No, you can't keep any of it. It's all mine. It's all mine. It's all mine. Uh, well, if it was all yours, why the fuck didn't you hold on to it? Yeah, we had to come here and kick their ass for you. And then it's still all yours. So one of them, one of the guys that actually, he's one of my favorite crusaders, he became the sort of prince of Antioch because he said, no, fuck this. He was a brilliant strategist and a brilliant, brilliant tactician. And he took out 
cities fighting with like you know something like 10 to 1 or i can't remember the details now but it's like they had massive losses they were supposed to get wiped out and then they found um the holy lands you know they had they um the lands that supposedly pierced the side of jesus's side that uh, the roman uh, centurion longinus used to finish jesus off and the holy lands was found in antioch as a result of a dream now you can say whatever you want but the reality is this has been documented that one of the priests had this dream they dug in a certain place and they found this rusty tip of a spear um, it's really interesting the history of the holy lands in fact if you're interested in this sort of stuff i'm gonna go on a little tangent i'll come back the little tangent is this nazi germany nazi germany i could never understand since the age of seven when i first had to do a project on a country and i was given germany and the whole of nazism and i could never understand how a whole country could become completely brainwashed to that extent you know and have the death camps and stuff like that death marches and whatever and um, it was only when i read a guy's book that is called um oh the guy's name is ravenscroft and uh, let me just see if i can find the name of the of the book just give me one second it was called uh, let's see I'm trying to make a list of a hundred books that I've read, which I think, you know, are worth reading. And just from memory, I typed out like 58 of them last night, a bit late. The Spear of Destiny, I think it's called, if I remember right. It's called The Spear of Destiny by a guy called Ravenloft or Raven, yeah, Ravenloft, who was a commando and who has been accused of having vilified, lied and made shit up. He's been accused of that after he wrote that book. I don't know, you know, the guys was a commando, he was uh, in the war and that sort of character seems to me very unlikely to be making shit up. But the important thing is that at an instinctive level, it's the first time that I truly understood the nature of Nazism because there is an occult element in it. There is a very deep occult element in the whole of Nazism and Hitler and his reasons for doing what he did. And those were, I believe, absolutely real. So whether the details are correct or not, I don't know. But uh, anyway, so the Holy Lands has been involved in the Spear of Destiny, if you want to call it that. It's, um, it was found when the Catholic Knights were at their limit. They were going to be wiped out by this massive horde of Saracens. But they found this Holy Lands and they charged out of the city into the thousands of Saracens and they kicked their ass. You know, this was supposed to be a, a foregone conclusions that the Christians were going to get wiped out. And instead they took out the Saracens, uh, which were outnumbering them massively. And the leader in this, then, you know, he was the guy who then became the Prince of Antioch, which he also sieged and took over having less men than, you know, he's just a brilliant fighter. Um, and he was the first guy that said, hey, these guys betrayed us. They made treaties with the Saracens. They actually sent troops to fight against us. Fuck it. He broke his word, so I don't need to keep mine. And he took over Antioch. 
So that was the first crusade that got betrayed. The second crusade that got betrayed. The third crusade they got betrayed. And when I say betrayed, it's not like little, you know, political maneuvers. I mean, they they had to fight Byzantinian soldiers, which were allied with the Saracens after they'd been asked to come and help, you know, free the, 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 the part of Christendom which had been taken over by Muslims. And the Catholics, anyway, knew that they wouldn't be able to hold on to the Outremer, uh, you know, over the sea, that the lands over the sea, because the only way they could hold on to those lands was with massive uh, subsidies from Europe. And, you know, that was just unsustainable. The idea was, we'll clear the lands, and then, you know, you've got massive armies and shit. You, the Eastern uh, Church, right, should then just occupy the lands which were liberated. And they built, like, castles all along that route, which would be easy to defend and fortify, you know, and they defended it for, like, decades, you know? It's like, I think it was, like, uh, uh, certainly more than a century, you know, I can't remember the exact dates, but it was a long time that the Christendom in the in the Middle East was supported and financed and held on to purely by Catholics that would not only have to fight the Saracens, but now had to, like, deal with the with the Eastern Church also blocking them, attacking them, actually fighting with them, making deals with the Saracens to wipe them out. It's just unreal. So again, big picture scenario. Now, nah. um, no, Catholic. It's Catholic or get the fuck out. And, um, you know, it's interesting because when I first had my vision, let's call it, or my, my road to Damascus moment wasn't so much a vision as an event. But anyway, when I had that, I knew God was love, but I didn't know anything much beyond that. Then I started reading. For a brief period, I was a deist because I was like, well, I know there's a God now and he is love, but what else? And it's only as a result of studying, reading and reading all sorts of things that I came to the conclusion that it is a Christian God. And my first uh, sort of instinct had been originally because I had had some familiarity with Russian Orthodox through my training because of the Russian martial art that I did and taught. And I quite like the Russians. I like the way of thinking. I find that the Russian way of thinking is far more adept at dealing with the real world than most cultures. And yet it has an undercurrent of spirituality that is very strong. Um, so I was attracted to that. You know, I had quite a lot of friends that were Russian Orthodox. And, that, and I sort of started looking into it. But I found it very I found it very uh, rigid to the point that it was wrong, that it made errors, because there was a certain level of rigidity in it that just wouldn't bend to, not bend, you shouldn't bend, the, the truth is the truth and it shouldn't bend, but I think certain things got fossilized to the point that they became errors rather than virtues. And again, one of the things that, by the way, that Nick Fuentes mentioned as well is like, oh, you know, like a Jay Dyer guy says, well, we have continued unchanged, undivided. Well, that's a lot of horseshit because you got Greek Orthodox, you got Russian Orthodox, and they don't mix. And say, well, but we've always, you know, Jay Dyer's response well, was, well, we've always had national churches. Yeah, really? So tell me, why have you got Greek Orthodox in the United States? Shouldn't you have United States Orthodox? Yeah. Why have you got Russian Orthodox in the United States? Shouldn't you have United States Orthodox? Yeah, of course there are denominations, there are changes and there are differences. I mean, when I was training in Sistema, a Greek Orthodox guy, a really nice man. I'm not going to say names because there's a lot of uh, yeah 
political bullshit in that world as there is in a lot of martial arts world and I'm not part of that and I you know I don't I don't give a crap about anything that's why I wrote the book I wanted to demystify the bullshit but um, it's part of the reason I wrote the book I wanted to tell the truth and you know share the information with people but uh, I also didn't want personality cults anyway a Greek Orthodox guy says you know and they told me I should convert and become Russian Orthodox and I'm like what the fuck we gave it to you you know Orthodoxy came from the Greeks it didn't come from the Russians what am I gonna go backwards you know <laughs> so yeah don't tell me that they're the same because they're not um, you know they just choose to say we're, we're the same but really there's differences and so on so there is a schism there there is a split there uh, but you know the fact is whichever denomination you it's you're you're you know the Protestants I don't put any stock in they're just wrong they've got no history they've got no backup they've got no leg to stand on they um, the outliers, you know, like Vox, Owen, or other guys that are just non-denominational, like even including, um, oh, what's his name? The guy who wrote The, the Unseen Realm, um, Mike Heiser. He's a non-denominational, but, you know, these non-denominational Protestants, because they're basically from a Protestant uh, background, yeah, them as individuals are, you know, acceptable. I believe they're Christians and so on. They're, they're okay. But they're not going to cause an uprising. They're not going to change the church. No one is going to start, you know, saying, oh, yeah, we're going to be non-denominational Christians in droves and millions to the point where they make a difference and get organized. It's not going to happen. The future is Catholic and it is defined. It is prophesized anyway. And it's real Catholic. It's got nothing to do with Novus Oracle. That is where the militant church will rise again is there already it's just dormant there are already enough of us you know each one of you guys that goes out and does stuff like nameless bear and like a couple of the other ladies that are that made comments and uh, some of the other guys as well you guys you each one of you is already changing converting and planting seeds that you have no idea the repercussions of that and the more of us there is the more of us get organized the more of us become a solid wall. The guy, I couldn't go to uh, to Mass this Sunday because my wife had a, a, a fall. She injured her ankle. Luckily, nothing serious. But we spent most of Sunday at the hospital because that's what happens when you've got a nationalized health situation. Instead of just go to doctor, pay, and get done. It takes ages to do anything. But anyway, x-rays were done. It's just a bad sprain. But we didn't know. And, you know, with the baby and stuff, it's quite difficult to... To get around any of that and we just we just couldn't so but one of the guys that had contacted me as a result of these videos he was there he went there you know and uh and i said please just make my apologies to the others this is what's happened he took action you know he went to probably his first latin mass um and he got there late because he was working and stuff but you know good on him he made the effort so yeah and you know you imagine like you start wearing that t-shirt that says Catholic, not Novus Orco. People are going to look at it and say, well, what is that? You know, what do you, what do you mean? What's Novus Orco? And then you can explain to them, Novus Orco, you know, play on words, Novus Ordo, New Order, New Orcs. New Order is always a code for globalistic scum, Satanist, Luciferians, Freemasons. You know, they've got many, many names. Their names are Legion. 
But that's your opener, you know. Be like the Catholic Crusaders. Those guys not only had a set of steel armor, they also had a set of steel balls. So yeah, that's my uh, rant, attack, inspiration, and uh, t-shirt shout out to Crypto Fashion. <laughs> As always, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Okay, have a good day.